sermon this morning is based on Jesus' words from Mark chapter 16. I invite you to open up your bulletins to that page or, or the Bible maybe that you brought along or the one right in front of you. We'll be looking at those words kind of in a systematic way this morning. I want to begin as we prepare our hearts and minds to hear God's word with a, with a short prayer. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, your church gathers only to be sent out again as your witnesses to the world. Help the people here to see their high status as heralds and the power, the divine power that we have in your word and sacraments. We pray this in Jesus' name who commissioned us. Amen. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Fifteen years ago, in May, two men received their calls to be missionaries to New York City. It was fifteen years ago in July when they, when they picked up all their earthly possessions and moved to New York City and moved into small apartments in Jackson Heights. It was 15 years ago, almost to the day in August, when pastors Stephen Gav and Aaron Robinson were installed and ordained at our church in New Jersey, East Brunswick, our Savior, in New Jersey, into the Holy Ministry. And it was 15 years ago, almost to the day, when they began to pray and to plan and to think about, well, what now? And they had lots of questions that they discussed. What should we name this brand new church? How will we reach out to the community? What languages will we use? What outreach events? But as I read the history papers of Sure Foundation Lutheran Church, because I wasn't around then, as I read it, there was a notable omission, something that they never talked about. They never talked about, as far as I can tell, what will our mission be? They never debated it, never discussed it, and it just never came up. And I assume, because it was assumed, I, I, I wonder, they must have thought, well, Jesus already gave us the Great Commission. I suppose that's what we're going to do. We're just going to go and preach the gospel. And in fact, it wasn't until years later when we adopted our current mission statement. That says, guided by God's word, we share the gospel of Christ with all, with all people. That came years later. So, so you can see the, the preaching challenge in front of me this morning. If it is assumed, the mission of the church is assumed, even at the founding of a church, we must have heard these words of Jesus a hundred times, if not a thousand. How, I wondered to myself, how can I preach on Jesus' words so that the people hear them as if they were brand new? So I wrote the sermon, and then I rewrote it, and then I rewrote it, and I rewrote it again because I know my own heart that whenever someone begins to mention the Great Commission, I say to myself, all right, here it goes. I know exactly what he's going to say already. He's going to say, somehow along the line, the, the Great Commission has become the Great Omission. 
And that some way along the line, in the last 15 years, we've lost our zeal. And then he's going to maybe even have some sort of tweetable quote that'll say something like, I heard this from someone else, we're not called to be secret agents, we're called to be ambassadors. And then, and then they're going to say something like, but your sins are all forgiven, now go and make disciples of all nations. I mean, at this point, it's kind of formulaic. It's, it's assumed that's the challenge in front of me this morning, but isn't that your challenge too? It's not just the preacher's challenge, it's the hearer's challenge that we would hear these words that we've heard a thousand times and hear them as if we're hearing them for the first time. To take these words that have become assumed among us and to all of them hear them as if they were brand new. It's our challenge this morning not to just talk about the Great Commission and let it sort of just wash through our brains, but, but actually experience with the apostles an elevation that can only be called undeserved. And to experience with the apostles an empowering that can only be called divine. So listen this morning with, with words and ears that can only be given by the Holy Spirit. As if you're hearing these words for the first time. Later Jesus appeared to the eleven as they were eating. He rebuked them for their lack of faith and their stubborn refusal to believe those who had seen him after he'd risen. He said to them, Go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will drive out demons, they will speak in new tongues, they will pick up snakes with their hands, and when they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them at all. They will place their hands on sick people, and they will get well. After the Lord had spoken to them, he was taken up into heaven, and he sat at the right hand of God. Then the disciples went out and preached everywhere, and the Lord worked with them and confirmed his word by signs that accompanied it. You know, Jesus, he never really was good at beating around the bush. <laughs> he, he goes right into the heart of the matter, literally. He's not going to beat around the bush talking about, oh, the Great Commission has become the Great Omission. He goes straight to the stubborn heart of the issue. Their unbelief. These disciples who were to be the great witnesses throughout the world, people had come to them and told them, Jesus is alive. It was first Mary. Jesus is alive. He's risen. I've seen Him. Their response? When they heard that Jesus was alive and that she had seen Him, they did not believe. Then it was the two apostles on the way to to Emmaus. They walk with Jesus and they come back to the apostles, the eleven apostles. 
And they say, we've seen him too. He's alive. Our hearts burned within us as he opened up the scriptures to us. Their response? But they did not believe them either. These are the same men who had walked with Jesus, who had seen Jesus throw out demons, who had seen Jesus heal the sick, who had seen Jesus feed the 5,000, who had seen Jesus raise the widow's son at Nain and Lazarus himself. These were the same men who had heard Jesus say over and over again, I must suffer and die and on the third day be raised to life. These are the men who had walked with him. And now, their hearts are dead and completely lifeless. Jesus' response was this. He rebuked them. You ever wonder what that rebuke sounded like? Apostles, why have you turned my church into a social club? Apostles, why are you just sitting here? Why are you not preaching the good news? What are you doing here? Oh, wait, don't tell me. I already know the answer. You didn't believe. Your hearts are are covered over with, with Teflon that is like three feet so that you do not even believe the scriptures. Stop doubting and believe that I am risen, that I am the one who was crucified, that I am the death-defying prophecy, fulfilling, all-forgiving Son of God. Do you think that that rebuke sounded something like that? We don't know because Jesus just moves on. He does. He, does, he doesn't browbeat them. He, he doesn't dwell on it. He just moves on. And he moves on to the good stuff and he, and he tells the, the apostles next, these 11, not 12, go and preach the good news. If you really think about it, that's incredible. Because in the last moment they are a social club now they're a church in the last moment they were persistent stubborn unbelievers and now they're heralds in the last moment these are guys on the way to hell and in the next moment they're supposed to show people the way to heaven Do you think that Jesus skipped a step? Of course he didn't. But we have to understand what is left unsaid right here. What is left implied. It's almost as if Jesus says, I'm not angry anymore. I'm not going to revisit your abandonment. We're not going to talk about you're disowning of me. We're not going to go back and, and talk about and revisit 
your stubborn unbelief. We're just not going to do that. We're, we're just going to move on. It's all forgiven. It's all forgotten by my cross. You see what Jesus is doing here? He, he's taking people who were stubborn unbelievers, people who had failed Him when He needed them most, and He's elevating them to the status of herald. And implicit in that is the forgiveness of sins. It would have been one thing if Jesus came to them on this Easter Sunday and said, you know what, it's all forgiven, it's all forgot. I'm not angry about it anymore. But if there's a family picture, you guys just stand off to the side. You're the black sheep of the family. You don't get to represent me anymore. You've let me down too many times. No, no, Jesus. Salvation. So big. So global that their former unbelief, that their failures to represent Jesus in the past and be fishers of men, it fails to disqualify them not only from being in the family of God, but it fails to to disqualify them from being His representatives globally. But not just globally, but also powerfully. That's the next stop in Jesus' discourse. After rebuking them, after elevating them to the status of herald, Jesus gives them a power that can only be described as divine. He said, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe in my name, They will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes with their hands. And when they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them at all. They will place their hands on sick people and they will get well. He places into the hands of the apostles powerful tools. We call them the means of grace. He puts in their mouths the gospel of the risen Christ. He puts in their hands baptism. And he says, these are going to work. Yeah, a lot of people are not going to believe. But these are going to work. The gospel and baptism, they are going to change lives so much so that some will believe. People like Russ. I think most of you know Russ by now. It's a year and a half ago when he first walked into this church and he was, he was greeted by all of you. He studied for a year and a half the truths of the gospel. And now today, not this morning at 9 a.m., but at 10.30, he will confess his Christian faith and Vicar Paul will perform his very first baptism. It works. Powerful means. And in the early church, in the first century, because they needed them, great signs would accompany these means of grace. They would pick up snakes. They would drink poison. All of things. these things would happen to confirm the Gospel. 
And then the disciples went off to preach the good news. It's a happy ending to the Gospel of Mark. You know, there was this guy, he came in to use the bathroom, and we sat down and talked for a while. And he said, Pastor Tim, I hadn't seen him for years, but he said, Pastor Tim, how do you motivate people to share the gospel? <laughs> Was this as if a godsend? Because I'd just been studying this. I'd prepared to preach the sermon. I said, let me tell you how Jesus motivated his apostles. Let me tell you how Jesus took them from unbelief and made them into the greatest carriers of the gospel in the history of the world. Let me tell you what Jesus said. He rebuked them, simply rebuked them. He empowered them, and he called them heralds. That's something for us to think about. How can we stay on mission at Sure Foundation? How can we motivate each other to share the good news? And it comes down to this simple Remind the people who they are. That's it. Remind them who they are. Jesus' text was was much more difficult because He took a group of unbelievers and then He changed them into heralds. My task is much simpler. With Christians, remind them who they are. Remind them of the status that they have. Remember that the power that they have with the means of grace. And then send them. It's a humbling task, too, to be a joint supervising pastor with Pastor Dan. It's a humbling task. How do you take a young man and change him from a herald to a public herald? How do you do that? How do you take a a young man and raise him up so that one day people will call him Pastor Spouty? I think it's simple. Remind him who he is. You're a baptized child of God. You have the status of herald, and not only a herald, but a public herald who will stand in front of God's people. And remind him the powerful tools that he has. The gospel in his mouth and water in his hands. Here we are. It's 15 years later now. Different pastors, but we're not assuming anything this time. This time, we're starting brand new. See, anniversaries to me, they're not really about the last 15 years. They're about the next 15 years. And if you think about it, I want you to think about how well we are positioned to carry out this mission. 15 years ago, Sure Foundation started with brand new pastors who had never been in the ministry at all. But now, we have pastors who have been at this church, respectively, for seven years and nine years. And their pastors are com- and their families are committed to the mission. And now we're not just starting. You remember how many people there were? A lot. If you look around, these are the people who have been here, right, for so long. Remember how many people we started with? 
But now we have all of you in another service, in another service too. And we've got some money in the bank, and we've got a building now, and we've got a whole synod around the world that's backing us. Jesus, as he started, he had no people. He had 11 unbelievers, no money, no special training, no buildings, no backing. And they started a worldwide movement. I'm looking out at Roosevelt Avenue now. And I'm imagining people pouring off the train at rush hour. The 7 train and the R train. It's a brand new start. Go and preach the gospel. Amen.